Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back onto the show Joao Gulau. Now, five years ago, whilst visiting family in Portugal, I traveled to Lisbon and sat down with Joao. In episode 138, you will be able to hear how they went from the worst addiction problem in Europe to the lowest by simply decriminalizing addiction. Now, as you will hear us discuss, that doesn't mean that drugs are for sale in stores now. It simply means that when an addict is caught with a user's amount, rather than being thrown in prison, they are educated on the resources available to them, including addiction counseling, mental health counseling, and job creation. So as we reconvene five years later, we discuss a host of topics, from the impact of the pandemic through Portuguese eyes, the ripple effect when it comes to the mental health crisis, fighting smuggling, how the withdrawal of support and funding has negatively impacted his program, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of almost 800 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back Joao Gulau. Enjoy. In fact, the, the, those are the, the, the big issues. So how are we moving forward and uh, uh, how, how could we deal with the difficulties that uh, uh, we faced in, in, the, in the last few years with the COVID and now with this uh, new financial crisis uh, caused by, by, by the war and how difficulties that the citizens are facing impacts uh, mental health and drug drug use and i would say that uh, in fact we are facing some difficulties uh, at a given point i i would say that the uh, the, the, the government and the, even the society was convinced that the the problem of drugs in portugal was controlled, uh, was uh, was under control, and uh, everything was was in place. What we needed, and it's not the fact. Every day we have new challenges, new new things to deal with, uh, uh, and uh, the investment is not. Uh, I would not say the the the, the budget, but the the political will to uh, provide our all the means that we need, uh, namely human resources, because there's a lot of people leaving the services, people uh, of my age that joined the services uh, during the heroin epidemic in the 80s and 90s. And nowadays people are leaving, they are, um, they are retiring, and we cannot change and find new blood to, to join our our facilities, and this is the, our biggest difficulty nowadays, is uh, to attract people to work in this area. Uh, is the uh, I would say that in the eighties and nineties, working in the uh, in the area of addictions was a little bit uh, fancy, I would say, but that's not the case nowadays. Uh, people recognize that this is a difficult area, the difficult. Quite frustrating some sometimes, and uh, it's not easy to to attract new people to work in in this in this uh, in these teams. On the other end, we have uh, uh, an enlarged. I don't know exactly if when we when we spoke, we had already a mandate on other uh, addictive behaviors such as gambling, uh, such as. Uh, 
screen dependence. Nowadays, we deal with all those challenges, uh, and those are really very important challenges because, and those were really very much impacted by the pandemic. We have lots of people with uh, difficulties in in uh, in meeting face to face with uh, with others. Uh, so the use of these kind of tools uh, is very much present in our in everyday's life, and I think it's not only here. All around, we see the the same. Uh, so. Those are the big, and the big availability of uh, new substances. Uh, never as as nowadays, we everything is used as as a psychoactive substance, uh, uh, legal and illegal substances, mixed uh, alcohol, uh, medicines, uh, illicit drugs, uh, everything together big cocktails that people people use uh, and not uh, not only or not specially among youngsters uh, we see it in mid-age people uh, and this is probably also a consequence of the of the difficult periods that we have lived in the last few years well, when we first spoke, it was five years ago. That was episode 138 for people listening. Um, I got to sit down with you in Lisbon. Um, and ironically, the backstory was my mother and brother had moved to Portugal, the Algarve. And when I started this, she'd said, did you know about what Portugal has done with the de- decriminalization of addiction um, I was blown away. You know, I got to come fly over, come sit down with you. And that was five years ago. So since then, obviously, we've had a pandemic. We've, we've seen, you know, the, the wars in the Middle East come to a conclusion. So there's been a lot of trauma, whether it's isolation through, through the virus, whether it's, you know, a lot of uh, veterans returning home from war. From five years ago, walk me through um, some of the challenges that you face, because I think the, what we saw with 9-11, what we've seen with so many other areas People are all in when there's a problem. The moment things seem to settle down, people quickly uh, forget very quickly. And then all of a sudden, resources, funding, and public support seems to dwindle. So what have been some of the challenges that you've seen since you and I spoke five years ago? You know, when we spoke five years ago, uh, I would say that uh, drugs that are used mostly to potentiate pleasure were on the race. Party drugs, uh, stimulants, uh, cocaine, uh, uh, ecstasy, those things. Uh, but nowadays what we see is that people is using people are, uh, are using drugs to relieve pain, you know? Uh, and this is much more complicated. Uh, if you cannot fulfill uh, the main needs of, of the people uh, and you cannot respond to the to the needs on housing employment uh, this kind of, of things uh, drug use becomes much more complicated and we are seeing uh, we are watching nowadays on, on the streets uh, lots of uh, very disorganized people that five years ago, uh, we would think that uh, was something that was uh, was gone forever in our in our society. So, and the main challenges are, are those: uh, we need to 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 rebuild the capacity to to offer treatment and support and arm reduction measures to all those in need of it. But uh, on top of that. We need uh, to uh, to to deal with all those social difficulties that they they are facing, and this is quite quite complicated. It it is not only a health issue; uh, it's a, a challenge for 
all our society and uh, in, for an uh, interministerial effort uh, that we need to develop and we are trying to organize it uh, the best that we can with the available resources. Well, what you have done so well in Portugal is look at addiction through the mental health lens. And therefore, this, the solutions that were brought were you know, addiction counseling, mental health counseling, job creation. And that was working up to, you know, when we were talking last. So from a mental health standpoint, what are some of the issues that have negatively affected some of the Portuguese people that seem to be doing so well prior to that? Well, uh, suddenly we had a huge difficulty in dealing with all the needs of, of the people because the, uh, when we, we were dealing with, with a quite restricted population of people with problematic use, suddenly we started to have much more people with uh, this kind of, of use and resources, uh, namely the human resources did not increase uh, appropriately. I think we have the legal framework, uh, the adequate framework to deal with uh, the, those difficulties, uh, but we need more, more means. Uh, we need more, and, and we are also changing the organization. Uh, prior to 2012, we had a, a vertical institute that had the capacity to, to, to sink to, to, to define policies and to apply them directly uh, on, on the ground with the, with our uh, with our with our units with our professionals. In 2012, this uh, institute was splitted uh, into a general directorate, which is CICAD, where I, where I am. Uh, but the, the intervention on, on the ground went to the general health service and we lost a lot of uh, efficiency. So nowadays we are, uh, with the support of our current minister, we are working on rebuilding uh, a unique uh, structure to deal with all the aspects on the health side uh, and to and to uh, coordinate the intervention of, of other ministries in this in this area. So I hope that uh, during until the, the end of this year, uh, we will have again uh, a better capacity to to intervene in the difficult situation that we have. I think that's one of the problems. Is that I've seen this as a firefighter, as a paramedic, and in, in other areas as well. When a solution, when a when a problem has a solution to it, the moment it's quote unquote fixed, there's that lack, like I said, lack of support, lack of um, push towards maintaining that. Like the checking yeah. a box, okay, we've done that now, we'll move on. That's it. Is that what was behind the split that they assumed that that addiction was taken care of now, and they just move resources somewhere else? Yes, that's it. Uh- uh, the political attention to to it, the support, the the, the 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 discussions in the media, everything almost disappeared. You know, there's a non-issue in the last uh, in the last uh, couple of years. But nowadays, that we are uh, again seeing those uh, disorganized uh, people. Uh, on the streets, uh, gaining visibility again. There's a oh, oops! Let's let's watch it. Let's go there, and let's uh, find a solution for it. So that's where we stand nowadays. Well, what about COVID through your eyes? I mean, you had a lot of facilities that were in person, whether it was the safe injection sites, whether it was the the counseling sessions, even the the job creation. You're creating these these uh, these. Um, careers for these men and women to get back on their feet what impact did covid have on your ability to maintain all those services that you were providing with your your people that were struggling mentally yes the, the, those were uh, we faced increased difficulties in dealing with it uh, some of our uh, treatment facilities such as therapeutic communities for instance we could not uh, have uh, 
people living together. There was a lot of difficulties in, in including new patients in a, in a group. Testing, uh, uh, how do you call it? Uh, a kind of a quarantine before joining the others. Everything was very, very difficult in the capacity. There's a, so it was a, a, a difficulty in absorbing all the people in, in it for it. On the other end, uh, we uh, increased the flexibility in harm reduction uh, responses, including, for instance, uh, being included in a, in a methadone program was done much more easy and uh, uncomplicated. So, uh, because there was a disruption in the market of, of heroin, suddenly in overnight we had 100 people knocking the door. Well, I need it. Uh, and we included everybody with no difficulties. So, we try to 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 deal in an appropriate way with the with the, the situation, and in fact, uh, I think we did it quite quite well uh, with the support of uh, municipalities. Uh, we found emergency shelters, and uh, well, we did it quite quite well. But of course, uh, uh, some habits of people changed and uh, were affected by 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 the, the the by the pandemic of course we just hit on something i haven't heard anyone say yet so talk to me about the why behind the fact that these addicts weren't able to get the heroin where normally they were no because the, there was a, it was it didn't last very long but for a couple of weeks there was a complete disruption in in the market so no heroin available Okay, uh, Erin used to come by 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 plane, uh, mostly in small amounts, uh, to to being introduced in the in the market. Uh, suddenly, there was no uh, no planes. It take uh, quite a, a couple of, of weeks until the the traffickers started to use the maritime. Uh, um, way to to introduce, uh, but for 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 some weeks there was no no uh, availability for heroin. So people were uh, dependent on on heroin uh, showed up suddenly uh, and seeking for substitution treatment, which we we provided uh, very. Uh, very easily to to them, uh, so they were included uh, by hundreds uh, in, in in our programs. Our pro program used to to serve daily uh, sixteen hundred people uh, in Lisbon, uh, in Lisbon alone, and suddenly we had uh, four hundred more joining the, the those figures. Some of them were absorbed, they were included in treatment programs, others just disappeared when the market uh, uh, recovered. You know? Well, it's interesting because it's in reverse, but it mirrors what I think is one of the most successful things about your program. Most addicts are wanting to find some sort of help. And in a country that has criminalized addiction, like most of the world, they're forced into the underworld. They're, they're hiding in the shadows. And then the ripple effect of that is the cartels in Mexico and the, and the gangs of Colombia because it's supply and demand. And what I've talked about so many times with what you did is you cut the head off the snake because you took away the demand. You put the addicts in the hands of the medical community and you gave them these counseling. You created employment for them. And therefore, there's no customers for most of these smugglers. So it's interesting when you turn it around the other way that, you know, you have a, a pandemic that momentarily took away the customers through transportation. That's a little snippet into the fact of how successful it would be decriminalizing addiction, therefore removing the customer from the illicit drug market, which in turn would then not only 
as I said, cut the head off the snake, but also then create so many resources in law enforcement and the courts to focus on the smugglers and the drug sellers? Yes, in fact, uh, our our focus uh, is the citizen and difficulties that people are facing. So we try to respond uh, in any circumstances in a humane uh, way, uh, uh, respecting the need, the needs, and understanding the needs uh, that people may have, trying to find the, the most adequate responses for it. So, I think this this is what differentiates. And uh, as to the legal framework, uh, it provides us the opportunity to deal with it, to deal with it. And people are confident in the system. People approach uh, health professionals health and social facilities uh, without fearing to be arrested to be prosecuted to 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 have this kind of of the of difficulties so uh, i think it's important that the legal framework and uh, and decriminalization is also very important for it because people can can just seek what they need uh, uh, and uh, well, from from our side, we try to do the best that we can to to fulfill that that those those needs. So, in discussing what you've done in Portugal, it's interesting because the number of people now in the military, in law enforcement, that were kind of resistant to it when I first started this podcast. There's been a complete shift, and a lot of people are acknowledging that the war on drugs is is an epic failure, and that yourself and Switzerland and some of these other countries are doing things just just better but I think there's still that mythology when I say drug decriminalization people think oh I can go into the supermarket and just go and buy you know meth and all that stuff so if you wouldn't mind educate people listening I know we discussed it the first time but I think it's important to underline what decriminalization looks like in Portugal okay I'm happy to, to have that opportunity uh, once again. In, in fact, there's a lot of myths around the, the decriminalization. As you said, people think, okay, it's free. I I can move to Portugal and use uh, all the, the substances that I, I want with no, no constraints, no fears. Uh, it's important to say that drug use in Portugal has been decriminalized, but not depenalized. That means that it moved from the criminal framework, from the criminal environment, from courts and uh, and all that, but it is still forbidden. But we can compare the prohibition of using drugs to uh, to the prohibition of driving without the the, the seat belt. Okay, the, uh, if you are driving without your safety belt, uh, the police officer still uh, stops you, may apply you a fine on site. Uh, uh, in theory, uh, he, he may impose that you attend a training course for drivers, an educational program for drivers, but you do not get a criminal record that stands for life and stigmatizes you for the rest of your days and turns some areas of your life very difficult, and you never end up in prison. There's no uh, imprisonment for mere drug use. So... Uh, if you are caught using drugs in a public place or in possession of small amounts of uh, of drugs, and uh, those small amounts are calculated on the basis of personal use for 10 days, if you have less than that, you are just uh, addressed by the police authority to a panel uh, under the Ministry of Health that... Mm, will uh, try to address you to the adequate responses uh, for your for for the type of of uh, drug use that you are having if you are an, an addicted person a very problematic user uh, you will be uh, invited to to join a treatment facility but it's not compulsory you may just refuse uh, uh, I would say that most of the people who are confronted with that possibility accept to be included in treatment programs. Uh, but if you are not uh, addicted, if you are 
just playing drugs, uh, 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 recreational, occasional user of drugs, even then, that panel will try to identify any factors in your life that, along with drug use, may lead you to a more problematic use later on. Okay, so uh, and find some help, some support for other areas in your life, not not necessarily in a uh, in a facility for the treatment of drug users, but other kind of of support. Okay, uh, I. I have no problems with drugs. I smoke a joint on weekends with my friends, and uh, but uh, it, uh, drugs were, are not an issue in my in my life. But uh, my parents are divorcing, or my father just lost his job, or myself, I am facing some kind of difficulties, uh, uh, and the the panel can address you to uh, the adequate professionals that can help you to deal with those difficulties. Uh, social support or psychologist or whatever that may help you to deal with your difficulties. And this is quite effective, uh, in fact, in, in preventing people from uh, becoming more problematic users later on. Well, I think it's such a, an important insight because like you said, these drugs being referred to as gateway drugs they are gateway drugs when someone has some sort of mental health challenges that's creating a void that they're wanting to fill. So, you know, one person might try an opiate and immediately fall into addiction. Another one will try an opiate and go, okay, my my pain in my arm is gone and never take them again. But the common denominator is addressing the mental health issue underneath the addiction. That's it. That's exactly how we... How we face it and how we try to 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 address it, and I think this uh, this decision of decriminalizing was really really important because it it gives us room to act and to uh, to to focus in the needs of the person. So another contrast I'd love to kind of revisit as well. We talked about when you'd had huge success with this program and your police officers were not having to arrest and process and uh, go through the court process on an addiction charge or, or you know, a, a usage charge, that it freed up the resources to address the people selling drugs and the people smuggling drugs. When you look at America at the moment, you know I, I believe we're in a deep, deep mental health crisis that expressed through violence, through addiction, through um, obesity, through social media. I mean, all the things that we'll probably touch on in a second. And so when you look at our police officers, they're wearing all this tactical gear. They're getting, we're losing police officers every single day to murder. We have gangs killing each other. So we have a lot of this violence expressed on our streets. And the resistance to this change is, again, these myths, oh, we can sell drugs. You know, if, if, if we legalize drugs or decriminalize drugs, then there'll be addicts everywhere on the street. Talk to me, if you don't mind, about the the criminal element what did you see change when you took these addicts and put them in the medical system how was law enforcement able to make portugal safer with the resources that they gained through this manpower yes in fact uh, i would say that the police authorities uh, somehow uh, were relieved of all the tasks related to mere use uh, when they identify people uh, in possession of small amounts of drugs, they just uh, pass pass people to the to the to the health side, uh, and they uh, they manage to to free resources to address bulk trafficking, big uh, criminal organizations, instead of spending all their time and spending all their energy and resources uh, with uh, with uh, mere users. So they are much more effective, in, in, in fact, nowadays, in dealing with uh, uh, bulk trafficking and criminal organizations than before. They, they used to spend all the time with uh, small fish, uh, and nowadays they can address the sharks in the, uh, uh, in the traffic organizations. 
And at what level do you have gangs and violence in Portugal? Because I talk about this quite a bit. If I've witnessed the horrendous violence in America because I was a firefighter and a paramedic, so I got to literally pull the sheets over the dead children that were murdering each other over these these turfs. But if you look at Norway and Finland and Denmark and seemingly Portugal, we have a fraction or you have the fraction of the violence that you would see here in the US or even, you know, the streets of London, for example, with the knife crime that we're having at the moment. Um, you know, what when you compare yourself to other developed countries, you know, where does Portugal fall as far as gangs and, and violence on your streets? You know, um, of course, we we have drug-related violence, but we never had, hopefully, we never have the, this big violent criminality with the shootings and the killings. Uh, of course, they, they happen, but they have, uh, at very lower levels than in other societies, namely the American society. Uh, what we have is a lot of pity crimes, acquisitive crimes, uh, and even even that uh, small criminality, uh, the acquisitive criminality has dropped uh, since we have put in place uh, the, the the treatment and arm reduction uh, responses. So people do not need as desperately as they used to do. Uh, they don't need the, the amounts of money that they used to 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 need uh, so in uh, this impacted in this acquisitive uh, criminality okay as to big organizations big traffic organizations white uh, collar uh, uh, organizations we have mainly we have some branches of international organizations operate, operating through portugal it's important to say that uh, even for geographic circumstances, Portugal is very important as a uh, as a gateway for the uh, European market. Uh, but th this does not translate in this big violent criminality, although there are uh, economic interests and there are uh, economic activity related to traffic but uh, not so aggressive, I'd say, as in other, in other countries, uh, namely in, in America and even in countries like Spain, for instance, our neighbors, they are much more affected by violent criminality than, than ourselves. One of the conversations that you don't hear very often is our role in the kind of downward spiral of other countries. So, for example, in the 80s, the cocaine was the big thing and Colombia was a big producer of that. Now, the cartels in Mexico have become empowered and, and the, the stats, as far as I understand, America makes up 4% of the world's population, but they consume 75% of the world's opiates. So, you don't have to be a country that's even consuming a lot of illicit drugs to be negatively affected by that trade in another country. What are the barriers that you're finding to try and get Spain and some of your neighboring countries to align with the same addiction philosophy that you have that will in turn then make your country even safer because people will be dissuaded by trafficking through Portugal to get to their countries? You know, we have a common... European strategy that we built together, uh, uh, a strategy and an action plan that we share all the, the European countries. So the big, uh, the big uh, lines, the big issues we address, we try to, to align, uh, as perfectly as, as possible in the same direction. Uh, and we have co European cooperation either in the supply side, uh, by uh, by police and customs authorities and uh, common policies uh, concerning airports, for instance. Or, but we had a, an agency uh, for the safety uh, of maritime uh, uh, 
an agency that deals with the maritime traffic and uh, that joins seven European countries, uh, mostly southern countries. So we uh, cooperate very, 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 uh, very directly with other European countries to to have common uh, approaches to those uh, big uh, issues. On the other end, we have uh, different, uh, I'd say, traditions as uh, as what concerns, for instance, the use of opioids uh, <clears throat> for light uh, circumstances. We do not use as much op opiates uh, to control pain uh, unless it is too severe. Uh, and we do not have the same pressure from big pharma that is present in, in some countries like uh, the North Americans, uh, United States, Canada, where this presence is much more. And the tradition of uh, opioid use by by doctors is much more uh, strict, I would say. So uh, we have different circumstances, even though uh, there are some European countries that are already facing difficulties with fentanyl and derivatives, while others are still, still, and I knocked the, the wood, uh, still relatively free of it. We did not identify until now uh, any cases of overdoses, deaths, or even uh, it does not circulate in a visible way. Uh, in in our society until now, but we are trying to be prepared because probably it will it will show up. Well, it's interesting as well because it kind of mirrors the the gun conversation here in America, where you know the people that are very pro guns will say, "Well, a gun is just a weapon until someone picks it up," and and yes, they're they're. They're right. Now, obviously, the access to the guns is a whole other conversation, so that needs to be brought in. But if you are an opioid smuggler and Portugal is full of people that, you know, overall mentally are doing very well, then they're not going to be a very attractive customer base. The, the U.S., for example, with the, the kind of mental health crisis that we have, we're seeing a huge amount of people die from fentanyl overdoses. So again, it's the power of that prevention and removing that potential customer. With Spain being your neighbor and, and witnessing the amazing success that you had with your drug policy, what is the resistance to some of these other um, European countries mirroring what you did in their own country? I would say that there's not a big uh, resistance. It's uh, accepted. It's uh, it's not. They are not copying. Uh, I'd say that in Spain, for instance, they did not need to decriminalize drug use because they never criminalized drug use. The big issue is uh, we establish a border. Uh, based in the amounts of substances that the person has uh, on them, okay? And in Spain, they, it, it, it is not the case. So if someone is intercepted using drugs or in possession of drugs by the police, still goes to the police station, but then the police officer has to decide, okay, I'm going to charge this guy be because I, I suspect he's smuggling, he's selling drugs, or I just let him go is a mere user. And without having an objective uh, threshold, subjectivity and some bias that can occur uh, are much more present than in our case. Okay? Okay, you are... If someone is picked up uh, using drugs, is a very... Well dressed, blonde, blue eyes, uh, nice, nice guy, uh, good families. Okay, go in peace. You are a mere user. If you happen to be black, dirty, poor, you will probably be charged 
um, by trafficking. So I think with this objective threshold that we have uh, is a step uh, uh, behind this this uh, this solution because it avoids at least partially this bias. Uh, that can occur. In in practice, we are not forcing the police officer to be a judge in an immediate cause. Okay, if there if there's a suspicious, okay, this citizen must uh, be subject to a to a trial to 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 a court, uh, and then to decide, not just immediately uh, based in your feeling or in your impression i don't know if you i could explain my my view on that yeah no no that was that was amazing actually because when you look at the genesis of or the nucleus of drug prohibition in america with harry anslanger and in the 30s that's exactly why it was created so they could then because he was you know it came from racism it came from job just justification and he could then throw certain types of people in prison for possession so it's funny now here we are having this conversation in 2023 identifying you know a horrendous mistake that we allowed to happen 80 years ago no it's uh, the, the the problems are not new the the, the way to to address them uh it's different. It's, it's changing. It's moving forward. Now, just staying on Spain for a second, just purely because obviously your neighbors and having two kind of contrasting um, results at the moment. Is there that philosophy of addiction counseling, mental health counseling, job creation in that country? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's uh, it's the same. It's same same kind of approach. Uh, but there are even if we are neighbors, we have very very important. Uh, differences for instance in by by the the end of the 90s heroin almost disappeared uh, overnight from the spanish market while in portugal it has been very it has been fading very slowly and is still fading and cocaine just uh, skyrocketed overnight in spain while here is still climbing very, very slowed. Nowadays, we are having some problems related to crack cocaine as well. Okay, we have a first wave uh, in the beginning of the of this uh, century. Uh, then it almost disappeared, but nowadays it's coming back. So, and in Spain, cocaine is the is the drug. Okay. So there are big difference. Don't ask me why, but uh, probably even the, the the traffic routes and the introduction of uh, different substances to the European market has something to do with it. The presence of some criminal organizations, mafias, and, and so on. They are different organizations. Some branches of, of it are shared by both countries probably now i know that portugal like many of the countries you know we we all have um immigrants coming from all over the world i'm sitting here in america as an immigrant so i can you know put my hand up as one of them but some of these men and women come from this very very desperate background they'll come to another country they'll they'll really enter immense poverty in that country has immigration played a role in the number of consumers of some of these illicit drugs being preyed upon by some of these people that are still making it through as far as selling in Portugal? We uh, we notice uh, some increase in the number of uh, people that we follow in our facilities, treatment and arm reduction facilities coming from other countries. But the vast majority are still locals, are still Portuguese. But we have very important uh, uh, migrant uh, communities uh, from from african countries uh, uh, portuguese speaking uh, uh, african countries angola mozambique cape verde and so on as a very very important uh, uh, community 
lots of Brazilians, which are very, very, very much uh, uh, present uh, also in our society. And recently we have Asi Asian uh, migrants from Nepal, uh, 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 India, and countries like uh, Pakistan. Uh, some of them are searching for help and support as well. Uh, but I would say it's not a very, very dramatic situation yet we can absorb. Of course, they, they pose some difficulties. Uh, in terms of uh, language and communication, and, uh, but we try to absorb them and we, we treat them with the same uh, kind of uh, availability of resources that we devote to locals. Yeah? Beautiful. That's what I love about, about the philosophy in Portugal is it seems that there is that we're all in it together, that community, that take care of everyone, um, which I thought was one of the most beautiful things about the UK with national health. I mean, that was a principle that was founded on that we take care of our own. Um, you know, as you mentioned with the pharmaceutical industry, even though there are some incredible drugs out there that I use as a paramedic, that um, business element of the drug companies in America has created, I would argue, the opposite of Portugal and, and the UK as far as their view on the health of their nation, where if you can afford healthcare, then good for you. But if you can't, then, well, you're on your own then. So, uh, you know, I love hearing that altruistic model that you guys have. Yes, uh, we are proud of it. We are, uh, we are a country with uh, quite limited resources, but we share what we have <laughs> with the others. Yeah. Well, you have a beautiful country. And like I said, I was just there about three weeks ago myself again. And sadly, we missed each other on that visit. Um, I want to hit one more topic and then just go revisit what you mentioned about social media and gambling. So I think that's important. But just one more thing before we do. A lot of people that have come on here saw an increase in mental health challenges after the, the pandemic. My opinion, my opinion of the virus, it was a very real thing. Um, you know, it, some countries it was pushed way too far, some maybe not enough, but the reality was that people were dying. You know, the initial quarantine was valid. Um, you know, I think the health of the nation was very important, which is what I'm assuming the Portuguese probably did very well. You had you know, a lot of healthy people already. But that being said, a lot of us spent time in isolation for months, you know, if not years, some countries. And the reports I've had from all over the world was there was a mental health cost of that. So what what have you seen through your eyes with the post-quarantine um, kind of isolation element of the pandemic? Yes, I think we, we have the same kind of impact that uh, other countries uh, uh, with uh, an increased number of uh, uh, mental health conditions occurring uh, among youngsters and, and less youngsters. Uh, we see, for instance, an increase in uh, in uh, eating disorders, uh, in uh, uh, gender assumption difficulties, and uh, difficult relations, and uh, um, difficulties in assuming a face-to-face -face relation with uh, with others, uh, uh, isolation. Uh, that even when uh, uh, mandatory isolation ended. People kept uh, were not comfortable in joining their their friends and relatives, and uh, and this impacted a, a lot. Uh, uh, I think substance abuse and other kinds of addictive behaviors uh, also increased the, in the same proportion. Uh, for instance, in uh, at what uh, relates to alcoholic beverages. Uh, in the first round, I, I think people uh, used all their their caves, all their their uh, used everything that they had at, at at home. They didn't need even to to go out to to buy alcohol. They just tried whatever that they had there, and then. They kept the same the same balance in the coming uh, months or years. Uh, 
Uh, and this is, once again, it's not mostly among youngsters. It happened with the middle age or uh, older people uh, who uh, acquire, acquired uh, heavy alcoholic uh, habits during those times. And along with that, uh, for instance, spending uh, six or more, more hours a day in front of the computer or in uh, exploring uh, whatever, uh, uh, social networks or gaming, gambling. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, of new habits or increased habits that uh, came and, uh, and stayed and are still there and are causing difficulties, uh, current difficulties to people. So uh, we have new challenges to 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 deal, uh, in fact, with with all all those consequences. Well, you touched on an area that's a kind of hot button topic here at the moment, and it's just, it's sad that it is because it it definitely needs discussion, but it literally fills our news channels every single day for months and months and months now. But this this element of gender. To me, you have the world of autism, and there are a lot of people on that spectrum who are, you know, irrefutably on the spectrum, you know, from full autism that you know, are not able to talk, not able to speak, not able to feed themselves, through to people that are on the other side. But then what I've seen in the States is there's a lot of people that put them, their children on that scale that if you psychoanalyze probably should never have been there but the chemicals in their food the lack of exercise and stimulation and guidance is probably skewed their perspective when it comes to the gender thing this is james gearing's perspective now there are undoubtedly men and women that are born into a body that they feel is wrong and as they progress and mature that never change and it becomes their true north and ultimately they may choose to transition to that physically as well what I'm seeing is, as you said, these children that are growing up with social media, they've had two years of isolation. They're not even understanding how to interact with another human being. I can't help but think that some of these gender confusion young boys and girls is coming from a mental health element rather than a true biological, you know, f yearning to be an opposite one what is your i mean i've, I've kind of loaded the question yes, but that's I, my opinion what is your opinion on that <laughs> but i very much agree with you i i i'm convinced that exactly uh, as you said it's uh, uh, that's why the 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 the, the numbers of people with this difficulties in assuming uh, their gender uh, is higher than than ever uh, most of the adolescents that uh, were uh, eaten by by this pandemic exactly when they uh, were assuming their uh, their their gender preferences uh, uh, were completely uh, uh, confused by, by 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 the lack of contact with the with the other adolescents where where uh, the identity is uh, is formed uh, so uh, i think it's a very very important consequence of this difficult uh, uh, period uh, that there's uh, several impacts in mental health and uh, and uh, other kind of difficulties and also in addictive behaviors but not it, not uh, necessarily on that. Well, you talked about kind of uh, being split to covering not just drug addiction, but now, you know, gambling and social media use. Um, with the social media, what are the resources that you are offering to these people when it when it's that? Because that is an addiction that I don't think is really even acknowledged very much here. You know, we all use it and you can't blame children. There's many of us adults that are staring at our phone way too long as well. What are some of the tools that you're helping people that are suffering from that with? Well, um... You know, the, the, on the basis of this kind of uh, addiction, if we, if we consider like like, like that, uh, 
there are some behavior, the same behavioral uh, approaches, uh, and some limitations that uh, we try uh, to, to negotiate with uh, with people. Uh, you know, if I have someone, I have an adolescent that is missing. Uh, his classes is not studying, is not uh, complying with the, the 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 obligations as a as a student, but spends six, eight year, uh, eight hours a day, um, ga- um, gaming or gambling or in social media or whatever, uh, is it's a source of 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 pleasure for for it of. Uh, and for, for for him, and I have to to negotiate uh, a limit for 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 it, a gradual uh, limitation to, to it, and to to fulfill uh, with uh, different interests for the missing for the missing hours, for the missing period, and something that provides him the the the, the same kind of reward. That it takes from the social media, the, the, there's a. It's difficult to compete with the, the likes and the, with all all those phenomenon that that we found uh, when using those uh, those networks. But uh, I think it's a, a, we need to 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 find a, a personal approach for each case. Uh, once again. I think it's almost impossible to find a suite that's, that uh, suits everybody. Personal uh, program for each uh, for each person. Well, I want to ask you one more area because I'm really mindful of your time because I know that you've got another meeting coming up after this. <laughs> yes, yes. I... <laughs> um, so the last place where, again, I think it's under-discussed the mental health component of this, but America has an obesity problem. I think 70% of our population is either overweight or obese. Um, Talk to me about your lens on that, and have you seen any changes in in the the kind of obesity or overweight level in the Portuguese people as more and more of these fast food companies are kind of perforating your country as well? Well, there's a there's a problem with the obesity or overweight, uh, but uh, more than that, what I uh, I think it's a, a consequence of also of this period uh, is the number of uh, uh, mental anorexia or bulimia or this kind of 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 uh, of, of uh, eating disorders uh, that were not n- never as as frequent as nowadays, and we see uh, people going on the obesity uh, way, as you see in the extreme uh, loss of weight, uh, and with a very limited sample of of uh, kids, I can watch with the, the friends of with the friends, the colleagues of my daughter. It, I can see everything uh, in a, 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 a presence that was not so common before the before the pandemic. It was um, it is nowadays much more frequent to find this kind of uh, of uh, diseases of difficulties uh, than before. Right? And once again, well, I believe that we can we can move into uh, a balance uh, as as soon as uh, this difficult period is uh, incorporated is uh, in in the in the living experiences of of people, but uh, immediately after the the the, the pandemic. The impact was huge, was brutal in this in these areas. Now, with the the body dysmorphia, with the kind of anorexia and bulimia, what impact do you think is that social media having on that side of things? 
when I look back at when I was young, the the models, the runway models were the, the waifs. That was the ones that were very, very, very skinny. Is that happening again with social media, do you think? Yes, there's there's a a paradigm that uh, kids are looking for, and uh, uh, and I think that the scene, the 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 scene model is is still very present in the the, in the uh, in the imagination of of people and the the willingness to be. to be similar to to them, and uh, and some some social media, uh, those TikToks and others are very very uh, promote very very hardly this uh, this kind of uh, of model of uh, paradigm. So I think it's it's important in in the in the kids' development. Uh, the presence of those of those stereotypes you know absolutely well it's been an amazing conversation i want to just get kind of one passing thing from you the the success that you've seen in portugal with the decrim- decriminalization model despite some of the the challenges as you mentioned of getting new people to come in and be part of the solution the funding getting the you know the center put back together again and not fragmented if you could talk to a country like the US or the UK um, about the other side of that that challenging decision to move to decriminalization, what would you say to, to the leaders of the world to encourage them to take the bold, brave step of moving the direction that Portugal did? Well, I would say we have uh, lots of discussions all over the world about the, the the legal framework for for the substances, uh, such as uh, very very present uh, discussion around uh, uh, cannabis legalization for non medical purposes. You have done it in most of the uh, American states, but not in. A, but despite that discussion and. Uh, <clears throat> the pros and cons of that kind of solution, I think that decriminalization does not have any kind of cons uh, and could be a, a, a good step in whatever condition all over the world, okay? To to consider drug use and uh, uh, on top of that, uh, problematic drug use uh, as Problematic drug use, uh, dependence, addiction as a disease is a very, very uh, important step to be given. And stopping putting people in prison by 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 the use of of substances makes all the difference. Facilitates the approach uh, of the health and social uh, professionals and resources. Uh, and I think in any circumstance, it's a imp- very important step in dealing with the, the, the drug phenomenon all over the world. So I would like to see drug use decriminalized all over. Uh, we, I can, we can see uh, countries in very different phases, in very different with the very different approaches to it, we have to 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 help those countries who were left behind. We still have countries with the death penalty for drug-related crimes or for mere use of of substances, and I think we we should have a, a common front, convincing those countries in uh, in changing that kind of policies at least that well i mean thank you so much and you touched on the decriminalization or legalization of marijuana and this is the problem that i have with this is that's one single drug that doesn't cover all the other ones and to me what you've done in portugal is you decriminalize addiction period so whatever substance that is as we said it's not going to be found on the on the the shelves on the shops that's not how it works 
But if it's a user's amount, as we touched on, addiction can be all these different illicit drugs. It can be food. It can be gambling. It can be social media. But if you address the root cause, I truly believe if every country adopted what you have, we would truly change the world. We wouldn't have to build walls at the American borders or all these things that we suffer from. We wouldn't have children wearing blue or red and murdering each other on American streets because we would we would not only remove the consumer from the illicit drug world, but we would start and positively affecting the trauma in all these young men and women. And then they would end up having fruitful lives. So I want to thank you so, so much for coming on yet again. Um, this has been an amazing conversation and I really, really admire your perspective because there's a lot of people talking out there, but what you and the Portuguese people did would actually walk the walk and, and truly create a solution for a problem rather than just complaining about it on the news. Yeah. Thank you, James. It was, it was my pleasure talking to you whenever you, you wish. We can talk again, okay? Yeah.